Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's up, everybody? How you guys doing? Is everyone having a good weekend? Uh, let's see, it is Sunday, and I got to practice yesterday. I got to shoot my hunting bow, and Lord Almighty, I suck at shooting hunting bows. <laughs> I am no Tom Dick or Dudley at shooting hunting bows, I tell you. Definitely need to do practice. Probably get a couple more practices in, get a little more comfortable. But anyway, I did not come to make excuses. I came here to help you guys get ready for the Cascadian Bowman Oregon Safari. And this is the fourth leg of the Outlaws. It is the is the final Outlaws. It's actually the third leg, but I think we're, they're doing like a little add-on Outlaw for the June shoot in Nevada City. So the Cascadian Bowman Oregon Safari. This is... One of my favorite events. It, I'm bummed down I'm not going to it this year. Um, it's beautiful up in Oregon, and it's always nice to shoot out of state. And it, it's it's really close to us Californians. It's not... I feel like calling it out of state is cheating, but it is... If you're driving, it's a good... If you live in, like, the San Francisco Bay Area, it's a good 11-hour drive. So, you know, you could probably make it up there... You know, half the time listening to uh, Archery Unfiltered and then half the time listening to, you know, Rudecast podcast, <laughs> Rudecast Archery podcast or uh, what else could you listen to? I don't know. I guess, you know, just silence is good. Uh, I love the drive up there. You get to pass by weed, uh, like not the actual weed, but the town of weed, which is like a little truck stop hole in the wall. There's a second Oakland in Oregon, which is way greener than the Oakland here. Uh, what else? It's just weed dispensaries everywhere up there. There's nice people. Uh, for everyone going up there for this event, take like a couple quarters. Take like uh, maybe 15 quarters and tip the people that pump the gas for you. <laughs> Be nice to those guys. So what do you guys have to look forward to? It, those of us that are shooting... Uh, say those of us, those of you that are shooting this Cascadian Bowman event. Well, in this little episode, what I'm going to cover is the extreme yardage cutting. Like what, what Oregon has that most events don't have is three or four of like targets that the yardage that you have to cut, the, the slope, the angle that you have to shoot it at creates some weird things on your sight tape. Uh, you'll have to have a good third axis. We'll cover that. You have to have good sight marks. I'm always preaching that. Um, and that'll probably be it. We'll see how much time I can fill out for this. Um, let's see. Before I get into it, I got a disclaimer. It's one thing that I will not... I'll. Well, I'll try to never discuss politics on this podcast or anything even remotely close to my political opinion. 
And if you get a whiff of that, if you are listening one day and you get just a, the slightest taste of that in your mouth, you can message me and tell me to shut the fuck up. And you can say, you big, stinky, ponytailed, Hawaiian shirt-wearing jackass, shut the fuck up and talk about archery. And I'll do it. I'll listen. I'll listen right away and just be like, you know what? This is an archery podcast. I should shut the fuck up. So here it is, people. An archery unfiltered, an archery-only podcast. And uh, none of my political opinions in here. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, the I, I'm going to start this podcast like all of them. I've won the Cascadian Bowman Oregon Safari. It was... Uh, 38 ABE after Bob Eiler was born. Um, I won it with the score of a 1306 as an amateur. And 1306, I, I don't know exactly. I think it's out of a 1320. So if that tells you right there, I won it 14 points down. This is not an easy course. And that was in the amateur class, mind you. I do believe, uh, I don't know what the exact total target numbers are so what the total score is i'm just guessing it's out of a 1320 because i think henry bash shot a 1314 uh two years ago i lost in 2018 with the score of a 1304 by lost i i don't remember what i what i uh you know what i shot what what i ranked at but I shot that. I was having like one of the greatest weekends where I was just hitting everything. I came prepared. I had been practicing. And then I misset my sight and straight, or I forgot to set my sight and I shot a zero. With that, I shot a 1304. So if that tells you how good I was feeling that weekend, um, it's one of those brutal things that just takes the wind out of your sails. So just remember, guys, set your sights. Have something in your shot process or the second you get to a target, the first thing you do is set your sight. Before you even get up to the stake, set your sight at least close. Like, if you know you're, you know, the next target's going to be 50 yards, set it for 50 yards, regardless of the, the up or downhill. Set your sight for 50 yards and then find your shooting spot. Find that nice little, nice little flat spot that someone is, maybe Rudy Sandoval was there first and kicked a little, you know, kicked up, nested a little shooting platform for you. Then go get your position, range it, and then adjust. You know, oh, I got to take a half yard off, you know. At least you've already set your sight. And then if you forget, you're not going to be a z you're not going to shoot a zero, you know. That's some sound advice. I'm trying to get into this habit of like the first thing I do is set my sight regardless of what the cut is going to be. I get there, set my sight before I start shooting the shit with somebody or, t you know, talking talking funnies. And hitting jokes, all right? Um, so what's great about Oregon is it will test your sight tape and it will test your knowledge on shooting angles. And what I mean by this is everyone knows that, you know, I, th I believe my buddy Seneca says five degrees for free. And that means you can shoot a five degree slope or I, I think they call it a cline. You can shoot a five-degree angle, right? And it will not radically change whatever yardage you're shooting it for. I don't know if that's 100% true. I mean, if you want to get real nitpicky, I bet you five degrees is like one click or two clicks, depending on how fast your, your arrows are coming out. 
But it's for the most part, what he said is true. What Seneca said is true. He also says angle of the dangle, which I find very um, off-putting. But it has a catchy ring to it. So <laughs> in Oregon, you will find there is going to be a couple targets like this. Um, specifically, I believe it's 70 yards downhill uh, where you have to stand on like this steel platform. And it's a really cool shot. Like it's one of the one of the reasons why I love to go into Oregon or any of these outlaws is there's unique, challenging shots where you get to learn about your system, your setup. How does it like? Here's the problem. Pa, we're gonna pitch you this problem. How how does your, you know, the way you've worked it out, or how you work out archery? How do you how are you gonna approach it? So I believe it's seventy yards. I'm not a hundred percent sure. And it is something like a 15 to 20 degree downhill slope or decline. I believe my rangefinder tells me to cut one and a half to two yards on that. And I have consistently missed out the top. I believe I've 21 this target. I don't believe I've ever 22 this target. Um, I can't remember what the animal is. If it's a moose or a little elephant or whatever. But I remember like getting up to it thinking okay the dot is not horrifically small it's it's not generous but it's not anything that wigs you out or should wig you out what gets me is seeing everyone before shoot it out the top so assume like if you come up to this target and you see the guys before you miss out the top assume they're doing everything right i mean first look and make sure they're good shooters you know but if they're good shooters, assume that they've done everything right. They've shot, they've ranged it, they've taken a cut out of it. And watch, did they miss out the top? Uh, um, because there's a good chance that if you just shoot it for what your rangefinder says, you might miss it out the top. And you guys have to, my, like my theory on this, my buddy Alan was asking me, how come steep downhills uh, I miss out the bottom? what does he say steep downhills i miss out the top and then steep uphills i miss out the bottom well th there is a reason for this and i believe it has to do i don't know if you guys have ever consulted a cut chart but if you look on archer's advantage and even archer's mark there are cut charts on archer's mark you can go to a yardage like if you range something for 60 yards and your rangefinder says you know x distance plus you know so many degrees down you can punch that into archer's mark and it will give you an adjusted range and what's crazy is this whole rule of like you cut a yard and a half for x num for you know for 10 degrees it's not true it, it varies depending on one the speed of your arrow two the angle of the dangle and three the straight up distance and uphill and downhill does not cut the same you actually cut, what, what did I write? You cut less, I believe, for uphill, and you cut more for downhill. And what I mean by cut is, like, you take more yardage off when you're shooting downhill. And maybe it's because of gravity. Maybe gravity's taking some of the workout. Maybe there's just more flight time overall on the arrow. I don't know. I'm not... A ball what do they call them? Ballistician, which sound would be such a cool job or, or cool title to have. But I'm not one of those guys. <clears throat> but I can tell you, it's not the same. Up and downhill, same you know 
incline versus decline, the same degrees uh, at the same distance will not be the same. Closer up, it'll be less of a difference. Closer up, it'll be like we're talking, you know, you might cut 19.2 versus 19 flat, if that makes sense, or if you're at a 20-yard target. So I can't tell you the exact specifics, but I can tell you there are systems in place to help you with this stuff. Uh, Archer's Advantage has a little section on the left side that says uphill downhill you can click on that you can go to print cut chart most likely don't quote me on this but most likely you'll never have to cut anything outside of 30 yards or 30 degrees i'm sorry so you could print that cut chart you could laminate it or what i like to use is just packing tape on both sides of the paper and then you can cut it and you can put it in your pocket or what i do is i tape the information to the back of my phone um and I know it's weird to always pick up your phone and then see, like, other people will be like, what is that? There's a bunch of, like, numbers and shit on the back of your phone. I, I don't get into explaining it. I just say it's it's just information for me. You can do that. And that's all stuff that can get you that point or those points. I believe I have 21 that long downhill because I went out the top on the first and then just took a rip on my sight. Sometimes you can kind of look at where your arrows hit and if you've been shooting that same set of arrows enough, you can know, all right, at this distance, I got to cut a couple clicks off my sight. So I've 21 that guy a handful of times, but the whole point of, at least in my mind, the point of this podcast is I'm trying to get you guys the most points without buying shit. All right, and I know I just referenced Archer's Mark and Archer's Advantage, and you got to pay for those. But you know what? Those are tools that you can use. Like Archer's Mark, you can buy it once and use it forever. Archer's Advantage is like a subscription-based thing. I've been using it much less because things like Aerospine, I've found, aren't as important as they were previously sold to me or that I've previously believed. There is too weak. Maybe there is too stiff of an arrow. But I believe it's not as crucial as I once believed. I use these programs for, one, a sight tape. Maybe looking at Aerospine, but not really taking it too serious. Um, And then short marks. But usually short marks tend to be a little on or off. So the, the program I've leaned on the most these days is Archer's Mark. And it's on your phone. It's awesome because you can, you know, adjust sight marks on the fly and i think that's super important i'm not sponsored by them they don't give me shit i paid the nine dollars for that app i've all i still pay for archer's advantage because being able to print out a sight tape put it on your site that is my that thing that i said where i go to a target and then i set my site for whatever that stake is to me it is worth paying for archer's advantage to print out a sight tape that i can put on my bow and that's step one get to the stake and then i just whoop zip it or you know set it to whatever the distance is i'll fine-tune it after i range it after i'm done bullshitting with everybody but that's step one bam hit it you know and it's worth it i, th- I do believe it's worth it i think it's 20 dollars a year or 10 dollars a year i can't remember so that is the extreme down downhill cascadian bowman also has a i believe a 20 yard super steep downhill uh, they have a couple of steep uphills also, but it's nothing that you wouldn't find in Reading that you've already shot. But they have a downhill that will blow your goddamn socks off. It is, um, it's ultra steep. You have to walk like sideways downstairs to pull your arrows afterwards. Um, 
it is a really challenging shot. I believe I've 22'd it one year, and then I believe I've straight 20'd it other years. Um, and so the thing is, with 20 yards, it's going to be, you're going to have to punch it into Archer's advantage. You're going to have to check your cut. You know, you're the. it's going to be difficult because it's going to be an extreme angled cut. You're going to want to, like, consult your cut chart. And, you know, I, I'll i be honest with you guys. I have not consulted cut charts before until this year. And I'm only doing it to try and stop losing points where it's unnecessary. If you can do homework, something as simple as homework, to not lose points, why not? If you lose points because you can't hit – because. You know, you just don't have the skill to hit the target. That's one thing. But if you lose points solely because you didn't do homework, I mean, that's, I, what are we doing? What are we even doing? Why compete? You know, if you love the game, do the homework. Get that little, <clears throat> that little one point, you know. Um, again, it's, cause, it's just because I love, I love this sport. I love competing and I love trying to hit as many points as possible and i want you guys to all know every course is cleanable we live especially this day and age we're starting to see the blake jerome's tate morgan's page pierce's shoot one down on courses that tells you it's cleanable if i put you at any hard target if i and you know say i took you to that 70 yard downhill that i just talked about and i said you have all day I want two consecutive shots right inside that orange spot. I promise you, you could get two in there. It's just a matter of hitting that stride first time around when you get there. You know, getting in that mindset, knowing this is what I need to do for this target. And, you know, I'm not going to pump you guys up and say, I'm going to turn you all into good shooters. I'm not. I'm a terrible coach. All right. But I'm just, I want you guys to know this is all doable. You can shoot beyond your ability. All right. And some of it is work a lot. Well, you know, I'm not going to say some, all of it's work. It's hard work. It's preparation. It's homework. So with that being said, I've talked about the cut charts. Um, you know, when people, my, my buddy asked, why do I miss out the top? Why do I miss out the bottom? Um, so like I said before, cutting uphill and downhill is not the same. Uh, when people ask me this stuff, a bunch of stuff starts running through my brain, you know? First things I consider, humidity, elevation, temperature, wind, spin drift, the third, uh, three-second flight time of the arrow, even the Coriolis effect all comes into play. Just kidding. <laughs> That's a bad joke. I wrote that down and I was like, oh. That was actually Mark Wahlberg, and I would pay to watch that guy shoot archery. Not gay, but he's cool. So in the past, the way I've made that long shot took a rip on the site. Here's something interesting, and this is not Cascadian Bowman, but at Break the Barriers, they had a three-yard, I believe it was three-yard target that was up where you had to stand on a platform and then shoot down at it. Uh, I don't know if you guys all remember this, those that shot Break the Barriers. I always want to do a recap podcast with Rudy because me and Rudy made it to the shoot-off, and we did pretty decent. You know, we did great. We got belt buckles. We did, we podium third place. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. Enough humble bragging. Well, not even humble bragging. Enough bragging. They had a target. It was three yards, and it was extremely steep downhill. And 
Mark Rubio was in my group that we were shooting. We were shooting against Mark and Tommy Daly. And Mark and Tommy said, at this distance, you add a yard. And I said, what? You add a yard? That does, that's not cutting. Cutting is always subtracting yardage. It's just a matter of how much, in my mind, how much do you subtract? All right. Now, keep in mind, guys, you know you shoot your short marks for, ele- like, I think it's anything under 14 yards. I think it might vary from shooter to shooter. But your birdie marks, everything under, you're no longer going down, or I'm sorry, going up on your sight with your scope. You're going back down again, right? I don't know if they, if they call it parallax or what, but basically there's a distance in which your sight is now going the other way. So cutting, in essence, isn't taking yards off. You are now adding yards. So these guys were like, shoot it for four yards. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, I know what you guys, you guys are pool hustlers to the nth degree. I will not fall into your little mind games. I went up, I ranged it. I believe my, my range finder said to take like half a yard off or shoot it for three and a half or, or three straight. And I shot it and shot right out the top. I mean, I must've been a clean two inches out the top of that spot. Uh, I believe Rudy was next. And they were like, these guys were sitting back watching like, we told you. We told you exactly what to do. <laughs> and then so Rudy went up. I believe he did the um, shot it for four, got it right in there. And then Mark shot it for four, got it right in there. Tommy cleaned it up right after with another four. So a four-yard shot, I should say. So what does that tell you? One, most of the time these guys are trying to help you. And, and tell you what's going on. But two, cutting isn't always cutting. All right? When you're inside, when you're super close, cutting is going to be adding a yard if you're you're inside on that sight tape. And maybe you guys already know this. I didn't know this until this year. All right? I've been shooting for four years, maybe five years now, and I did not know that because I have not been challenged. Like Break the Barriers was the first event to challenge me with that problem. That was new to me. Um, Oregon is going to challenge some of you guys. They're going to put targets up in front of you that are going to challenge you. And if you guys can get there a day early and practice, I would highly recommend it. Nothing, like you don't lose anything by getting up there a day early and practicing. You know, it's more information. Um, Let's see. What else do I got? Uh, Oh, okay. A lot of people have been sending me videos of a trad guy shooting a ring. Uh, I'm not impressed, like even a little bit, with that with this video. I don't know if you guys are impressed. Maybe trad shooters are impressed. If you want to impress me, and you're a trad shooter, do it 30 times in a row, in in a in a stadium, in front of a bunch of people. Then I'll be like, mm, okay, gotcha. So, I know I haven't talked too great about, you know, anything in particular. That My main stress has been Archer's Mark or Archer's Advantage, consult cut charts, know how your bow cuts on extreme. I mean, most stuff is going to be a yard to a half yard cut, right? You know that. Most, most fields, the slope's going to be so slight that that's what you're going to be going for. So know your bow for extreme cuts. If you have a range that has extreme elevation somewhere, practice it. 
you know, figure it out. And then you can tell me, hey, man, you're wrong. Uh, you know, I would hope for some information to prove why I'm wrong. But, yeah. So that's what we got. Uh, we live in the age of the cleanable field now. Uh, I want you guys to all know that, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, no, pros are the ones that clean stuff. That's not true. Amateurs can clean these. I believe Blake Jerome is not even registered pro, and he is on the verge. I, I believe he cleaned a field round just recently. So I want you guys to know it's all possible, and he'll be the first guy to tell you he's just a regular dude. He just works hard, and he sent me a message, and he said, oh, yeah, I feel the same way. You know, We're just guys that work hard at it. It's all doable. Um, let's see. What else? Third axis. For Cascadian Bowman, you're going to have to make sure your third axis is on point. In my writing podcast, I said just shoot it in. And I still stand by that. I think shooting it in is good. Uh, one thing I would like to do that I think you guys should all give a try. If you have a Hamski, a third axis level, I believe you need two. But I know if you have one, it'll have a little rod on it that you can thread this little indicator rod through you clamp it to your sight you hang a piece of string somewhere I, I would recommend going to your garage or your basement somewhere where there's not people and your kids aren't running around you hang a piece of string from the ceiling and then tie it to what they would call a plumb bob or a weight uh you can do anything i you know i'll tie it to a, a bottle of water right most of the time it'll hold that you know, string very straight up and down. And then what you're going to do is stand on something, stand on a chair or an egg crate or, uh, I don't know, you know, a, a, a bunch of books, stand on something safely and don't tell me you hurt yourself. Uh, knock an arrow, set your release so it won't fire. All right. And try and be as safe as safe as possible. I, ha I usually have one release set that will not fire that I use just to practice like drawing the bow back, checking alignment on things, you know, checking my peep height, things like that. Draw your bow back, aim up, aim down and watch and, and use the, the indicator pin and line that up with the string that is holding this plumb bob. All right. And at full draw, you actually, your hand will torque a, your bow a certain way. Like we're gonna, I'm going to send you guys into the weeds here, okay? The torque that you impart with just your hand and your shitty form or little, you know, inconsistencies in your form will show up on that third axis. I inadvertently, like I didn't notice this until recently, but if you draw your bow back and before you come to anchor, if you just look at what happens to your stabilizer, I mean, if you draw your bow back and come to anchor and that stabilizer just stays pointing in one direction the whole time then you're, you're on your way to having really torqueless, you know, good form. But for, for me personally, right before I come to anchor, I will notice the stabilizer on my bow kick to the right. And I believe it is the way I grip my bow. I put a lot of, I feel a lot of pressure on the, uh, the pad by my index finger on the inside. And so that tells me that I'm I'm kind of directing that bow to the right at full draw. So what does that mean? Well, it means my scope is now, if you were opening a door, my scope is now like a couple inches 
if it were a door pushed forward, pushed open to the outside, if that makes sense. So the third that will show up in your third axis. The third axis is not really I mean, it, you are correcting for like manufacturer what they would call tolerance stacking when all the tolerances stack up a weird way, you know. But really what you're accommodating for on third axis is the torque that you are putting into your bow funny. So I don't like I don't like doing this because I realized with my crappy form, my giant head and my tiny arms, I torque the bow so goddamn much that I have to run my third axis the third axis adjustment on my scope is pretty drastic. And what it creates is when I'm shooting just flat stuff, my scope is like pushed way into the riser. And I'm going to experiment experiment with some things. I'm going to see if I can't mitigate some stuff with the second axis, but I don't have any concrete answers for you as far as second axis mitigation. All I can tell you is my third axis is gnarly off because my form is gnarly off. We shoot freestyle. Our, our, this, our bows can accommodate our crappy forms, okay? So get your third axis dialed in. And if that means, you know, if you don't have a, a Hamskia third axis level, I'm not going to tell you you don't need to buy one. Well, I, I am going to tell you that. You can literally just go to a field that has a steep elevation and shoot that shit in, you know? Um, I feel like with a Hamskia, you can do it in a more clinical way, like a more, what's the word, sterile way. You can get that dialed in. But you can do it without this Hamskia third axis level. Guys were doing this. Guys were figuring this shit out before that third axis level came out. All right. So another thing uh, that I saw recently that was kind of cool was that most people set their first and second axis up to their riser. And George Riles has this old video where he talks about setting up your first and second axis based off of your string. Um, I know for my bow, with the way my things are set up, my string is not perfectly vertical. It's not perfectly up and down. There's a slight slant left or right. So when my riser is perfectly vertical, my string is not. Um, depending on what you read and who you listen to, they will prioritize one thing over the other. Uh, this whole last season, I ran it first and second axis based off of the vertical riser. Uh, if anyone has any, like, hey, this is better and I can prove it, please fill me in. I'll share it. We'll let everyone know. Cool. Um, so that's, you know, that's the bulk of it. That's the meat and potatoes. I don't know if you guys have done torque tuning. I kind of feel like, let's see, I covered extreme yardage cutting, third axis, get your sight marks. Come on, guys. That's homework shit. You guys can do that. Get all your sight marks. For Cascadian Bowman, the short distance is going to be three yards. The long distance is going to be 102. I believe this is the longest long shot. If you shoot the Outlaw series, this will be the longest long shot you have to do. But I've just told you right there, three and, three and 102. That they're going to try to trip you up with those. Get them. Get them. Tell them, like, you're not going to get me. I did my homework. But keep in mind, they're going to try to trip you up with the uh, extreme yardage cutting with the really steep up and downhill. But you're going to be ready for it. You're too smart for that. Um, third axis, you're going to have dialed in because I told you about it damn near a month ahead of time. Sight marks. Get those sight marks dialed in. Um, and then either before, you know, you could do it now or you could do it after. I don't know if you guys have done this, but torque tuning is a lot of fun. And if you have 
that fucked up bow hand like I have, torque tuning can help you out here. I know Greg Poole just released a video. I don't like plugging his stuff, but love him or hate him, disagree or agree with his politics, you know, we're not going to talk about politics here, but he does have good information on tuning bows. And he's doing this thing right now where he's showing how much a riser torques on a shooting machine, right? He's showing how much a riser actually flexes uh, a weight, like the bottom half changes from the arrow itself. This is not anything new. This has been shown on YouTube. There's a guy, I think his name is Archer, like 1941, or some, some old guy that is really smart has torque videos on his uh, YouTube of risers that he clamps into, I think he clamps the handle into a machine and then draws the bow back with a machine. So it's all very clinical. And he will mount a laser to the stabilizer port. And you can literally watch that laser drift off of center while this bow is being drawn back. And, you know, it'll tell you all kinds of stuff. It was real interesting is, is this is something that we've all known already, but if you shoot a Hoyt and you uh, move that cable guard in, it will clean up some paper tears, right? Why does it do that? Well, your your cable guard is pulling these cables out to the side. When it's when it's all the way maxed out to the side and it's creating torque, ultimately, there's pressure being put on your riser from the strings and the limbs and everything like that. When you alleviate it and move that thing all the way in, there's less of it. This guy does a video where he – one of his videos, he has a uh, – I think it's a Hoyt Defiant or a Hoyt Carbon something, Right? And he shows what happens when you disconnect the cable guard entirely. Basically, there's like zero torque on that bow. <clears throat> you can alleviate torque with Camlene. Um, is it, you know, is it, it's just riser torque that you're eliminating. Is it necessary? I don't believe 100% it is. Because it's, I, I believe it's going to be repeatable in its own way. It's just aluminum. So... Torque tuning itself is moving your riser, or I'm sorry, moving your arrow rest in and out, and then torquing your bow left and right, and getting in, you know, getting your arrows hitting on the same spot. You can do the same thing with your sight. Paige has done a video about it. Uh, a bunch of my buddies have done this like a long time ago. Torque tuning is used to be called group tuning, right? Where group tuning is, you go to some crazy distance like 80 yards and you just start moving shit like just move everything on your bow <laughs> one thing at a time until your groups are as small as they can get then you move on to the next thing um i don't necessarily recommend that method like the whole just move everything you know but i'm not cleaning anything either so if you got the time maybe you want to try it and report back um so i know this is like <clears throat> Maybe this is – I'm not giving you very much on this this podcast. I think this is all stuff that's kind of crucial for those of you that are going to Cascadian Bowman. Um, I've done uh, – in other like testing news, I've done powder testing to my bow and I've seen some really cool stuff or I've gotten some really cool information. It's something I recommend everyone do if they have time. 
is spray your bow with uh, – I, I did the foot spray thing. There is something out there called developer spray, which is uh, a, a really cool – it's basically the same as foot powder spray, but it's not like scented and doesn't have like weird antibacterial chemicals. It's literally just powder and uh, a light a light alcohol. And it'll evaporate right away and just leave you with a clean powder thing. Developer spray is what it's called. Um, I'm going to use that next. I have a can of it. We use it on my day job all the time. So the powder test showed me that I could actually angle, I could kind of index my knocks um, to alleviate some vein contact that I was getting on my blade. I have a blade on a hamskia and... I was getting just a little bit of contact in a unpredictable it's, it didn't look like it would be there. It was on the left side of the blade. I have left helical arrows or left helical veins on my arrows. And so I kind of turn the all my knocks to be kind of like one o'clock, right? And I was getting this little bit of contact. So now I turn them just like two o'clock and I'm getting no contact. And I cannot tell you how forgive. It's almost crazy, stupid, forgiving now. Um, I've also sprayed. I've also sprayed my rest shelf itself, and uh, and the riser rest. Or I'm sorry, the riser shelf. And then you can you know just to see if anything else is making contact. I'm getting no contact. There really is some forgiveness in zero vein contact. Um. I don't want that to be a band-aid for bad shooting. And I don't want you guys to be like, oh, well, that's the end-all be-all right there. I just want forgiveness. Keep in mind, you guys got to practice. You got to execute good shots. Forgiveness is not always going to be something you can lean on. And I wanted to do a little section that I'm going to start called the bullshit product of the week. I have been making a list and I've always tried to tell people – there are things that are crucial that you do need to buy for archery, and then there's things that aren't crucial. There are things – I love this sport, but this industry is jam-packed full of bullshit and magic pills that they are going to try to just make money off of you. And I think in archery, they're playing on your ego. They're playing on your insecurities. They want you to think, hey, you need to buy this thing so that – you will be a better archer. And I am not immune to this, all right? If you guys ever look in my basement, I have all the products. <laughs> I have all kinds of shit stacked up high that promise you'll be a better shooter, and you'll notice they're just collecting dust. A good example of this is the blade arrow rest. That is all you need. You Like, I am running the hamskia right now because I'm trying to, you know, play with some stuff and experiment with things. A blade arrow rest will get you where you need to be. I promise you. It uses a you know, number 10 best blade. We'll get 95% of you where you need to be. So anyway, bullshit product of the week is shooting supplements. Everyone knows I've been very outspoken about this. I'm just kicking off this segment with this one because I've bashed shooting supplements for a long time. There are pills out there sold by people that promise to make, they advertise making you a better shooter. That is not true, guys. There is, and as far as I know, 
The only shooting supplements that will actually make you a better shooter are propanolol and weed. And I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do those in competition. All right. I've, I've looked into like extensively what other sport, like in other sports, what shooting sports specifically, what do they do for like their vitamin regimen? All right. Um, I believe a pistol Olympic pistol team was experimenting with like almost borderline overdosing themselves with B vitamins. It was uh, B6, B12, and one other B vitamin. I can't remember exactly what it was. And they believed it made them better shooters, especially under pressure. And I experimented after I read that article last year. I experimented, I bought all the B vitamins, and I was taking insane amounts of vitamin B leading up to and the day of uh, indoor events. And I believe I won the indoor, maybe I lost to Alan Brunetta in Fresno. Uh, Impact Archery in Fresno had uh, an indoor money shoot. And I can't remember if I lost or if I came in second, but I was abusing B vitamins. And by abuse, I mean recklessly taking a lot of B vitamins. And it may have helped, but, I, you know, it could also be placebo effect. You know, I, I personally believe shooting supplements. I'm not going to say the name of these supplements. I believe that they are multivitamins that are giving shooters placebo effects. Because I know I've heard guys and it, oh man, it. I had to close my eyes to keep the eye roll from just like the the impending eye roll that was coming out when I heard these guys talking about cycling on and off of these shooting supplements. And it's like, dude, just you could save that money. And I've told this to people before. The money that you would spend on supplements, save that money and enter yourself in a novelty shoot or a uh, – or a safari shoot or a local tournament, what you gain from that will be far better and long lasting for you than a pill that promises to make you better. Also, if you if you're still on the fence about what I'm saying here, that company released a pill that claims to make you a better hunter. And now I might be exaggerating, but I'm pretty sure it's called like blah 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 hunting pill. And it's like Dude, are you for real? Are you guys really doing this? Are you telling people like the phrase in archery has been there is no magic pill. And someone was like, ah, you know what? I'm going to sell a magic pill. And then some of you assholes bought it. All right. So like, come on, like, let's get real here. Practice. With that being said, why do I think people push shooting supplements why do pros push shooting supplements? Well, I believe it's a resume. It helps their resume look better. So I don't blame anybody for putting up on their Instagram or their social media like, hey, buy this shooting supplement. Here's my promo code. I don't blame you guys. And I don't think anyone should. We shouldn't – I mean I, I just talk shit for like five minutes. But I don't think we should cast shade on people that are – uh, pushing this stuff because I believe they're padding their resume and saying like, Hey, look at, here's why you should sponsor me. I push, you know, here's, 
I have a promo code. I push this product. I'm very professional about it. I look good, you know, pushing this product. All right. So I get it. I get why you guys are doing it. But for everyone out there listening who's an amateur, who's just a regular guy like me, um, just know you're not gaining points from taking a pill. All right. And this will be the last time I cover this. I've harped on this on the Rudecast Archery thing. Um, this is just going to be the first product that I do in like a list of bullshit products or products that I think are bullshit. All right. Next week, I'm going to cover the hinge release and why the hinge release is bullshit. Ah, just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hinge release is like, <laughs> it's like the grail for, for uh, archery. But anyway, uh, I hope you guys liked this podcast. It was, you know, I'm, I'm trying to come up with more content, more things that you guys want to hear about. I'll get into more tuning and nitty gritty shit for you guys next time. Um, thank you for listening. This, this episode, as with all the episodes, are brought to you by myself, uh, DB Custom Coatings. It's a Saracoding um, service that my buddy Darren and Bet, they, can, they will take your bow, they will strip the finish off of it, and they will give it a beautiful rock solid finish and you know not to knock the finishes of existing bow companies but powder coat and anodizing you can mark it up real easy Cerakote, you gotta put elbow grease into marking that shit up also darren and bet they can do you know you want two colors you want three colors uh casey Caulfield is shooting a bow i i mean i think she's trying out for the olympics i don't know recurve but she's shooting like the world archery with uh, a Hoyt that Darren Saracoded. It looks badass. Uh, it's like a three color or a two color, like faded in and out. Um, what's, what's the word? Uh, there's like a, it reminds me of candy when I see it. I don't eat candy myself. So I forget the, I forget what the starburst. It looks like starburst candy. Um, Casey's kicking ass with that bow. Darren Saracoded that, believe it or not. Uh, Darren's done bows for, um, a bunch of people. He Saracotes parts for you know well-known pros. I'm not going to throw names out there because I'm not sure if I'm allowed to, but it, it's cool. You can really customize your shit with some uh, Saracoting from DMB Customs. Uh, the other sponsor for this podcast is, of course, the Carbon Craft Stabilizer, the X-rated Carbon Craft Stabilizer. I'm not being uh, funny. That's literally what Adam decided to call this the x-rated carbon craft stabilizer i know he's he's in a lab right now with like a bunch of japanese scientists coming up with the next carbon craft bar this is in america these are all 100 percent made in america i'm sure he's just kidnapped a bunch of japanese scientists but they're coming up with some new shit right now whether or not it beats the x-rated bar i'm skeptical uh when he does release it i will do the test on it but right now just know the x-rated bar is king I'm still running it. I have yet to switch to any other stabilizers. So, uh, you know, Impact Archery and Clovis sells them. You guys can contact Brian Webb down there. Uh, If you want to place an order, you can contact Adam through uh, his personal phone number, which is – I'm just kidding. I'm not going to give it out. But he's on social media. You can find him. Uh, Carbon Craft Stabilizers has a website, West Coast Archery. You can call him up and place an order. We'll get you some bars. Uh, I think there, I think there's a little bit of a wait for them. I think it's like a month right now, but you know, they make them when you order them. And Adam wants you to try them. You know, 
at least in the past, I've known him to give people bars and be like, pay me when you like him or pay me if you like him. Like, what does that tell you? That tells you he knows the bar is going to be that damn good. So enough commercials. Remember, I just got done telling you guys you don't need to buy anything. Those are the two things that I do recommend buying. And maybe if you go over to my Redbubble, you could buy a T-shirt. But I don't care if you don't. All right. As far as getting better at archery, you don't need to buy anything. I mean, as long as you have a blade rest and your bow's tuned, you know, you can get it with work. All right. And we'll we'll get to it in further podcasts. I'll get you there. Well, it, well, at least try to get you a couple points. All right, guys. So thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you guys all have a great weekend. Hit me up on Facebook. Let me know what else you want to hear. All right. Ciao. Oh, one more thing. Be nice to your waiter, your waiters, waiters and waitresses. All right. Don't be assholes.